Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and this episode is brought to you by Waystar Royco. No, no, that's not right. That's the fictional entertainment and media company from HBO's Succession, in which a prevalence of sexual harassment complaints leads to a battle for control by the narcissistic and ego-driven CEO who demeans his employees and family, shouts threats, and ignores corporate governance structures. I'm not sure how that got there. My apologies. No, like every other episode of Virtual Legality, this is supported by folks like you, viewers on YouTube, listeners to the podcast, and patrons, including those that support this on an individualized tier. Thank you so much to Nord, who is supporting this specific episode through the Patreon. If you'd like to check that out, please do check out our tiers over there. Now, this episode isn't really about Waystar Royco, isn't really about a fictional ego-driven CEO. No, instead it's about Activision Blizzard, also an entertainment and media company, and a bombshell report that was put forth today in the Wall Street Journal. This will be our 23rd video in the Everybody vs. Activision series. If you'd like to follow up on all of the many machinations, twists, and turns of this particular conversation, please do check out that playlist. But for today, we've got an article entitled Activision CEO Bobby Kotick knew for years about sexual misconduct allegations at video game giant. Top executive didn't inform board of some reports, including alleged rapes. Company faces multiple regulatory investigations. Now, like all things that we do in this space, we're going to go over it with a fine tooth comb. We're going to be talking about the fact that many, many, many things that are stated here are editorialized in some respects, are given by anonymous sources. That doesn't make them wrong. That doesn't make this an unimportant article. In fact, I do think it's a bombshell. And a number of folks have come out and asked me what it means for the investors, what it means for the shareholders, what it means for the board. And I'm going to try to talk to you about all of those things as part of this video. But one thing we can say for sure is while important, we don't know what will happen next. Because a lot of you have been asking for Bobby Kotick to come under more direct fire for what's happening at Activision. The lawsuit by California, the lawsuit by the EEOC, the investigation by the SEC, and other labor-related complaints. In fact, when I was getting up this morning, I had anticipated doing a relatively short-form update on the legal documents in this case. I think I can just mention it to you right now. Activision has responded, complaining about the fact that the EEOC or I'm sorry, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing at the state of California had increased the scope of its complaint from just employees to all workers. They say that that's not allowed under various statutes. We'll see how that goes. And that the EEOC has formally filed its opposition to the intervention by the state of California with respect to its $18 million settlement. And you're basically up to speed. We'll see if we do a separate video on that. But functionally, on the ground, this is more important. This is about the face and identity of one of the richest men in public companies and a Wall Street Journal article that is basically a hit piece. It's an attack piece. It's, it's aimed directly at Bobby Kotick and where he lives. Again, that doesn't make it wrong. Doesn't make it something that the Activision board has to act on, but it is something that they are very likely to act on. So let's take a further look. Bobby Kotick, the longtime chief executive of video game giant Activision Blizzard, received a troubling email in July 2018. Now, one of the things you'll see set up here are a sequence of events 
of Bobby Kotick receiving information, of doing something at Activision, and essentially impliedly not telling the board of directors about what is happening necessarily. Now, we're going to talk about why that might be an issue, why it might not be an issue when we get to the paragraphs that are more specifically about that. But you'll see that divided into various sections in this article, including here at the top, where they're going to use as an example one thing that wasn't reported on that was otherwise handled directly by the management of the company. It says, a lawyer for a former employee at Sledgehammer Games alleged in the email that her client had been raped in 2016 and 2017 by her male supervisor after she had been pressured to consume too much alcohol in the office and at work events. The female employee reported the incidents to Sledgehammer's human resources department and other supervisors, but nothing happened according to the email. So again, just to put the proper context around this, this is July 2018. This is shortly after the EEOC investigation had started and about the same time that the state of California would have also been entering into an investigation of Activision Blizzard. And then there's a email from a lawyer that says you didn't handle all of this properly, threatening a lawsuit against the company. Within months of receiving that email, said people familiar with the situation, Activision reached an out-of-court settlement. Mr. Kotick didn't inform the company's board of directors about the alleged rapes or the settlement, said people with knowledge of the board. So let's take a step back. As I said at the top of this, there's going to be a lot of references to things like people familiar with the situation. And while in ordinary course, we could assume that that's somebody internal to Activision, we can't actually assume that with the facts as we know them today. Why is that? Because we know that multiple regulatory agencies have received documentation and interviews and access throughout the course of the past three years. So there is an entire body of individuals that have certain information about Activision. And with that as the universe in which we're operating, it becomes a lot more difficult to tell exactly what has been disseminated to the Wall Street Journal, who is talking to them, why, what their biases are, because you do have the possibility of an EEOC leak, of a Department of Fair Employment and Housing leak, of one lawyer or another leaking this information, which would be very bad. We have duties of confidentiality or internal folks at Activision. In fact, I'm going to highlight a couple of places where it certainly sounds like someone fairly highly positioned at Activision might be talking to the Wall Street Journal on this, but it's altogether unclear. So keep that in mind. Take all of the statements with at least a certain amount of salt because there are various constituencies and agendas at play here, and we don't know what's getting leaked or for what reason. Activision has been thrown into turmoil in recent months by multiple regulatory investigations into alleged sexual assaults and mistreatment of female employees dating back years. Mr. Kotick has told directors and other executives he wasn't aware of many of the allegations of misconduct, and he has played down others, according to people familiar with the matter, and internal documents. Those documents, which include memos, emails, regulatory requests, and interviews with former employees and others familiar with the company cast Mr. Kotick's response in a different light. So we've got this set of documents now that's out there, which to me, to my ear, sounds a lot like the set of documents that you would have had to deliver in respect of an investigation of your company, especially this interviews with former employees and other familiar with the company. That's exactly what an investigation is aimed at, is those interviews and getting that on the ground information. So somewhere along the line, 
somebody at the company, someone at one of these agencies, someone with what appears to be an axe to grind against Mr. Kotick specifically leaked these documents to the Wall Street Journal. And we don't know exactly what they leaked, what they held back or anything else. The documents themselves, however, according to the journal, say that he knew about allegations of employee misconduct in many parts of the company. He didn't inform the board of directors about everything he knew, the interviews and documents show, even after regulators began investigating the incidents in 2018. Some departing employees who were accused of misconduct were praised on the way out while the co-workers were asked to remain silent about the matters. And they're going to actually elaborate, especially on that final point. Mr. Kotick has been subpoenaed in a Securities and Exchange Commission investigation into how the company handled reports of misconduct and disclosed them to the public. We knew about that. We covered this in this series. And it's important to kind of distinguish between the two sides of what's happening there, right? The major accusation from the corporate lawyer's perspective here, from my perspective, is that Mr. Kotick isn't properly communicating with his board of directors. And we'll see in the paragraph that's coming up that talks about that more specifically. The Securities Exchange Commission doesn't care so much about how you're talking to your board of directors necessarily, with some exceptions. It does care about what the company is actually saying to investors and prospective investors. So it doesn't necessarily require you to find that there's a problem with the SEC if there's an internal problem with the way the CEO and board are talking, although one is generally indicative of the other. They are somewhat distinguishable and separate points. Now, this article says the board of directors was blindsided by the California lawsuits allegations, according to people familiar with the board. Now, that's just different from familiar with the incident, familiar with the company, familiar with the matter, etc. Familiar with the board now starts to sound like somebody that is close enough to one or more of the board members to have this conversation. We're going to look at the board in just a second. If you aren't familiar with public companies, the board members, some of them are internal, like Bobby Kotick, like the chairman of the board that's been there forever. But many of them are there for experience in other fields that may or may not be friendly on a personal basis with one or more of the management team, but are bringing their experience doing something else to the company. Those folks tend to be very concerned about what we're also going to talk about as part of this video, and that is their fiduciary duties, because we start talking about legal liability and potentially worse, depending on what is happening and when. Directors have questioned Mr. Kotick about what he knew and why they hadn't been better informed. He has told them any cultural issues were centered at the company's Blizzard Entertainment Unit, which he said he had resolved years earlier. These people, those familiar with the board, said. And here's where we're going to talk about corporate governance. Now, this generally sounds like what Bobby Kotick has said in public for the most part. He's intimated that Blizzard was the real problem, that all of these things are relatively old, that they've changed the structure of the company. I'll leave that judgment for you, viewer or listener, to determine on your own. We're going to see some of the examples here, some of which are old, uh, but none of which I don't think apply to Blizzard specifically. There might be one exception there. But in order to understand what is the potential problem, we need to understand how a United States corporation is organized, right? And I think people sometimes get lost in this. I got some questions about who might be liable for this kind of thing. And in order to understand this, the shareholders, which are kind of up here, own the company, right? When you see a stock price, and we'll look at that as part of this video as well, it's the ability of you to buy a very, very, very small percentage of a public company. And then all of the people that own shares together 
elect the board of directors, the individuals that have experience that are going to be the ones where the buck stops in respect of how the company operates. It's why when you watch a show like Succession on HBO, which with my voice gone, I've been watching pretty much all of the last week, you get scenes in which as a corporate lawyer, I see absolute ridiculousness where you have the CEO just blatantly ignoring the board of directors and things like that. And I think to myself, ah, that's a little bit mustache twirling. I'm not sure how much I agree with the reality of that. And then lo and behold, we get Wall Street Journal articles at the top of the next week to discuss more fulsomely. As a matter of fact, I've been considering doing videos on succession and the business terms used in that uh, series. If you're interested in that at all, leave a comment to this video. Uh, It might be something that I add to the channel in general. But when we're talking about all these things, when we're talking about how the board operates and what you have to tell them, as the CEO, which is here listed as president, president and CEO, some high management position, you have a responsibility to report to the board. This is the director, the board, and the board has a responsibility, a fiduciary duty that obligates it to its shareholders. If we look at the board of directors, we see a whole number of people that have different experience. We've got Ms. Bowers, who has been a director of Activision Blizzard since January 2018 and has served as the independent governance and organizational consultant for nonprofit organizations since 2016. We have Mr. Corti, who's been a director since 2003 and worked at Avon Products, a global manufacturer and marketer of beauty and related products for more than 25 years. Mr. Hartong has been a director since 2015 and served as chairman and chief executive officer of Brynwood Partners, a private equity firm. So you're going to see investors in the company with seats on the board. These are the kind of folks that get really skittish if you start to have scandal, if you start to have something that is an issue to your business model. These are the folks with money in the game that have these seats in order to participate in the governance of the company. Then you have the insiders, right? Mr. Kelly has held various positions of responsibility with Activision since 1991 including serving as a director since 1995 and the co-chairman of our board from 1998 until 2013 and the only chairman of the board since. This guy is Activision. Bobby Kotick, we already know, he's the CEO. Mr. Meyer has been director since 2014 and was the chairman of Warner Brothers Entertainment before then. Mr. Morgado has been a director since 1997 and was a chairman of the Maroli Media Group and served as chairman and the chief executive officer of Warner Music from 85 to 95 etc., etc. So you see all these people with these various interests. And because the board of directors has this obligation to this shareholder group that people have given them money for them to keep track of it and to not do silly things like spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on sexual harassment complaints, on cover-ups, on whatever else might have happened at Activision Blizzard, They take a special interest in why the hell weren't you telling us that these things were happening? If you want to know a little bit more about fiduciary duties, you can look it up in various places on the internet. I pulled up this Skadden article because I think it summarizes it pretty well. It says, this note is a brief reminder for directors of Delaware corporations of the basic fiduciary duty rules that govern their conduct. Those basic fiduciary duties, care and loyalty, including good faith, oversight, and disclosure. We recommend that you be well advised including as to all of the rules of the road, not really the way I would write a legal memorandum, but generally speaking, how your company operates, what it's doing, what the regulatory infrastructure might be, and to be properly informed, ask questions, examine assumptions, and gather and review all material information reasonably available. Why? 
because you have a duty of care that the shareholders can bring a lawsuit against the board of directors for breach of the duty of care if you did not have informed deliberative decision-making based on all material information. So what you've got in a situation like this is a board of directors that looks at all this and says, oh my God, we've got potential liability here. And this liability is real. Boards are sued all the time. It's one of the reasons why some investors won't take a board seat at all. They'll get observer rights. They'll get other rights that allow them to somewhat control or observe the governance of a company, but they don't want these duties. They can't either because they're too busy or they're uninterested, get all the documentation together, make informed decisions. And here you've got a situation where the chief executive officer is accused in a national outlet of not talking to its board. Here in the bylaws of Activision, which I will also link in the description, you can see that the chief executive officer of the corporation shall exercise such duties as customarily pertain to a CEO's role and shall have general active management of the property, business, and affairs of the corporation subject to the supervision and overall direction of the board of directors. The CEO is appointed by the board and there can't be functional supervision or direction if the board isn't getting the necessary information. So the accusation here is very significant and represents, if accurate, a potential dysfunction at Activision Blizzard that could see Mr. Kotick in trouble, could see the board in trouble, could see an additional avenue of liability or attack from the EEOC or the Department of Fair Employment and Housing in California or anyone else that says you didn't have the proper structures in place to even know what you were doing here. And when we talk about a complaint like the state of California made, where they essentially accused Activision of systemic failure, of a failure built into the way the organization was actually operating. And I said, that's very unlikely at a public corporation. It remains very unlikely, but significantly less so when you've got reports like this going out there. And again, we take it all with a grain of salt because we don't know who's actually saying all these things. And we're going to see in a couple paragraphs that the board of directors officially has denied this, kind of. In a recent interview, Mr. Kotick described himself as transparent with the board. Activision spokeswoman Helene Klasky, and this will be shortened to spokeswoman in various other places, so just remember her name. This is the one that has made the primary communication between Activision and the Wall Street Journal on this, said Mr. Kotick would not have been informed of every report of misconduct at every Activision Blizzard company, nor would he reasonably be expected to have been updated on all personnel issues. Now, I have to say, that's accurate. At the CEO level, you have multiple tiers of leadership and management below you that are supposed to be handling these things. And in a functional corporation, that's exactly what happens. You have the reports to human resources. You have the various managers address those, be disciplined, discipline others. Maybe you get a summary report up one level, up another level, depending on how your actual hierarchy at your corporation is arranged. And then Bobby Kotick gets summaries and action point memos and things along those lines that relate to all of those things. But when you have kind of the house of cards falling down and you have all of these cases, it becomes more important to be informed and to certainly inform those under which you are acting as CEO, such as the board of directors. She, Ms. Klasky, said Activision sometimes fell short of ensuring that all of our employees' behavior 
was consistent with our values and our expectations. I don't think that can be denied by anyone that is following this story at all. Activision's board, in a statement sent by Ms. Klasky, said it has been informed at all times with respect to the status of regulatory matters and that Mr. Kotick hadn't said the problems were only at Blizzard, one of the company's most successful studios. Remember, that's one of the things that this article accuses Mr. Kotick of having told board members that it was limited to Blizzard alone. The board denies both those things, although the denial of what they've been informed on is a little bit narrow, right? The fact that there are a series of harassment complaints, some very significant harassment complaints, isn't specifically a regulatory matter. So this does say that the board is telling the Wall Street Journal that when there was an EEOC investigation, when there was a Department of Fair Employment and Housing investigation, he went and told the board that those things existed. But we'll also see that that's not necessarily the case as part of this article as well. It gets very confusing here, and it shows that Activision isn't necessarily on the same foot across all of the things that it's telling people as part of this article and, of course, the commentary that they have made prior to now. Then we get a little bit more color that maybe we didn't know before. It says, since the California lawsuit, Activision has received more than 500 reports from current and former employees alleging harassment, sexual assault, etc., according to people familiar with the matter. The examples of alleged misconduct by Activision employees cited in this article haven't previously been reported. And I don't know exactly what that line's doing there, except to say, hey, if you're inclined to just think that this is all otherwise included in one of these baskets you've already heard of, no, these are all new. And then you get a discussion a little bit of Mr. Kotick. He's one of the highest paid chief executives of a U.S. publicly traded company. Pay package valued at $154 million. Then they kind of impugn Mr. Kotick, says in October, after the journal approached Activision with questions for this article, Mr. Kotick made the move that we talked about as part of this series, reducing his compensation to what he said is the lowest level, adding a zero tolerance policy, and responding to some of the demands that were made by the a better ABK uh, workers group at the company. Then we get into what I actually think is perhaps the most significant slight on Mr. Kotick in this particular article. If you were so inclined, devil's advocate, to be on Mr. Kotick's side, you could look at these various things and say, okay, it looks like this, this one was handled, this one was handled, this one was handled. And if they're small enough and they're not material enough, that's the ordinary operation of running a big company. And you wouldn't necessarily need to go to the board for each and every one of these. Again, if you were so inclined to defend Mr. Kotick. This, what we're going to talk about with respect to Jen O'Neill, is a different type of thing. It says, in August, Activision named a longtime employee, Jennifer O'Neill, to be Blizzard's co-head, making her the first woman to lead one of the company's business units. This was a big deal. They were made co-leaders of Blizzard. They were clearly scrambling, trying to figure out how to fill this vacuum, do it in a way that might take some heat off of them. And I think a number of people actually called them out for this whole kind of co-head move. And it was within three months that we were doing a video talking about Jen O'Neill leaving the company by the end of the year. Now, the, the message that was sent out publicly in respect of her leaving, and you can check it out in this video that's now showing on your screen, was very nice. Uh, they were going to donate a million dollars to her charity that she was going to run. She was going to stay through the end of the year to transition, and it just wasn't the right space for her. But what is reported in this Wall Street Journal article is much more of a bombshell. 
It says the following month after she's named co-head, she sent an email to a member of Activision's legal team in which she professed a lack of faith in Activision's leadership to turn the culture around, saying it was clear that the company would never prioritize our people the right way. Now we have to take a step back. This is an email from Jen O'Neill to a lawyer and a lawyer that is bound by duties of confidentiality to Activision. This suggests strongly to me that someone in Jennifer O'Neill's team, if not Jennifer herself, is sending this document around. Now that's speculation. We can't confirm that, but it's difficult to see exactly who else would have this kind of information. It's possible another investigatory body, but the fact that this was sent to a lawyer suggests to me that it's, it's much more unlikely that that lawyer would leak it out. Not impossible. Of course, we've seen leaks and complaints about EEOC and the Department of Fair Employment and Housing and everything else. Certainly lawyers can be dirty and all, all these various things as well. But this is a very significant email, certainly in my eye, and the genesis of it, how it came to be in the Wall Street Journal's hands is very much an important question to have answered, in my opinion, because she expressed this lack of faith in Activision's leadership and says it was clear that the company would never prioritize our people the right way. Ms. O'Neill said in the email she had been sexually harassed earlier in her career and that she was paid less than her male counterpart at the helm of Blizzard and wanted to discuss her resignation. Now understand the circumstances here. The state of California in this summer filed a complaint that 90% of its running time was Activision hasn't paid women the appropriate amount for their male counterparts. And what is described in this email is that Activision scrambling to give co-leadership to Blizzard in the face of all this named two people, one a female, one a male, and apparently decided to pay the female less than the male for what was publicly expressed as the same job. Ms. O'Neill then continued in her email saying, I have been tokenized, marginalized, and discriminated against. I look at this situation, these particular paragraphs, what came out about Jennifer O'Neill, which is in the last three months. It's not 13 years ago. It's not 15 years ago. It's not only at Blizzard. This is them dealing directly with Activision leadership. And I look at this as potentially the problem in this article for Mr. Bobby Kotick. This article continues, mentions that Ms. O'Neill described a party in 2007, which is years ago, in which scantily clad women danced on stripper poles and the DJ encouraged female attendees to drink more so the men would have a better time. Again, kind of going to that frat boy culture that the state of California accuses Activision of. All of this represents dysfunction, right? As soon as this email goes out, a month after Jennifer O'Neill is named, Activision can't actually have her in the seat that she's occupying. She can't be there. And it was never going to work out. It took them two months more to figure out what that looked like which obviously wasn't something that looked good for Activision. In the interview with the Wall Street Journal, Mr. Kotick disputed that Activision is unwelcoming to women and said the examples of misconduct identified by the journal are exceptions that don't reflect the company overall. If there are experiences people have in the workplace, he said, that make them uncomfortable, we're much more adept at being able to respond to those and that he and the board now expect to be kept better informed than in the past 
about workplace issues. So, so Mr. Kotick's defense here is that the structure was wrong, that the structure didn't allow them to respond properly. Maybe the board wasn't getting enough messages. This didn't all work out, but we're still talking about bad apples. You can see what the communication strategy for Activision is likely to be, right? Isolated instances, probably within specific groups and companies. We're going to combine all of those. We're going to get a specific way of reporting. The EEOC has already said we're going to have a person here. We're going to tell you how to do all of this reporting and incidents management and everything else. And so Mr. Kotick wants to put all this in the past, wants to put it all behind him. While a lot of folks, a lot of constituents, a lot of stakeholders definitely don't appear to want to do that at all. They give a little bit more background about Mr. Kotick. He's been a technology entrepreneur since he dropped out of the University of Michigan. I know if you've been in virtual legality for a while, you know I'm a Wolverine. Go blue. And Michigan has a saying, those who stay will be champions. So I don't know how we should feel about folks that drop out from the university. I do know, for instance, as much as I love my Michigan football team, Mr. Kotick actually does uh, support the football team with various expenditures at various times in the multi-millions of dollars uh, level. So he is supporting one of my favorite things on earth, which, you know, isn't the greatest when you get articles like this about him, but we get the hand we're dealt. He forged his reputation by acquiring successful development studios behind popular gaming franchises. Mr. Kotick long allowed those studios to operate as independently as possible, which he believed would foster the development of hit games. Former employees at several studios said behavior such as workplace drinking, comments about women's appearances, the sharing of explicit content, and staff-organized trips to strip clubs were common, and they didn't feel comfortable complaining to human resources. So here again, even in the Wall Street Journal article, you start to see how Activision's probably going to start talking about these things. Yep, isolated. Hey, look, here's what I did. Here's what I did. I wanted them to be independent. And in that independence, some bad apples got more power than they should have. The Activision spokeswoman said human resources began reporting directly to the corporate office in 2019 and that the prior setup, not the setup today, occasionally allowed some employees to conduct themselves in truly regrettable ways. Mr. Kotick approves high-profile hiring decisions and the exit and pay packages of star developers, and he is typically aware of any major problems in each of Activision's 12 development studios and three major business units, according to people familiar with his leadership. This, to me, rings true. This is generally what a CEO would do. You're not talking to the CEO necessarily directly about anything but the most important employment decisions, the most important acquisitions, and he's going to trust his management structure to some extent to handle things that are of less import. That's not wrong. That's essentially the way these things work. But when you've got the rest of this smoke, this gets put into a Wall Street Journal article to indicate that oh, whatever else we might not have evidence of, he probably knew about. Even though Ms. Klasky, the spokeswoman, says he generally isn't involved in the hiring compensation and termination decisions for most employees. And that's structurally what we get in this article. Then we get more instances of sexual harassment, of problems at the studio's mostly outside of Blizzard. And we'll go through these because I think they're important. But these are, again, just like the California complaint, just like some of the things we saw coming out of the EEOC documents, they're they're points of light, they're data points. And yes, I do think enough pieces of information come together to paint a picture. But this is, yet again, another set of data that we get as we evaluate how Activision Blizzard operated for certainly the past 20 years and questioning exactly how it's looked for the past three or four. 
says Dan Bunting, co-head of Activision Treyarch Studio, was accused by a female employee of sexually harassing her in 2017 after a night of drinking, according to people familiar with the incident. And again, this doesn't require you to actually be at Activision to be familiar with the incident since so much of this documentation is out there. Activision's Human Resources Department and other supervisors launched an internal investigation in 2019 and recommended that he be fired, but Mr. Kotick intervened to keep him. These people said he was given counseling, allowed to remain with the company. Mr. Bunting didn't respond to requests for comment, and he left after the journal asked about the incident in presumably the last couple of months. And that expresses a couple of things. One is certainly just looking at it from the outside, it suggests that this action to keep him was incorrect. But we also have to acknowledge Activision Blizzard's in a different world than they were in 2017 in regards to sensitivity and people focusing on the company in and of itself. So what might have been okay on an isolated basis, we don't know the details of this particular case. This is really all we get here suddenly becomes not okay if it's the 20th, the 30th, the 500th issue at the company. That doesn't make it okay for Mr. Kotick to do what he did. We can't actually opine on that because we don't have any more information, but it is worthwhile to note that Mr. Bunting here did leave. Although Mr. Kotick didn't inform the board about the email accusing Sledgehammer Games supervisor of rape, the one that started off this article, Activision did take action. The accuser's lawyer identified the supervisor as Javier Panmero, says the Activision spokeswoman said the company immediately investigated the two assault reports after executives received the email, fired Mr. Panameno two months later. She said that following the two incidents, the employee said she was too intoxicated to remember what happened. Mr. Panameno's recollection of the second encounter conflicted with the report to police. She said the female employee hadn't reported either incident before she left. But the email said the employee had told human resources about both incidents and a colleague of the former employee said the same. So again, we've got a situation which sounds really bad. Absolutely. And it sounds like it was taken care of by Activision two months later. But then you get excuse making from Activision, right? You get, well, none of the things lined up and she didn't tell us about it when they happened. And then you have the Wall Street Journal telling you, no, no, the lawyer at least says that she did tell you when these things happen. And we're left with just this kind of morass, this miasma of who knows what exactly happened there. Generally speaking, we want Activision to act fast when these kinds of things happen. We might even expect a police report on their own behalf, but all we know is that they were fired two months later. Mr. Panameno didn't respond, but a spokesperson for his subsequent employer, Zynga, said it launched an internal investigation after the journal started asking questions, and Mr. Panameno subsequently resigned. So that also is indicative of a certain amount of veracity to whatever the complaints might have been in specific. The email that the accuser's lawyer sent Mr. Kotick also said another Sledgehammer employee, Edward Rorick, had been accused of sexual harassment. A female employee, Ashley Mark, said in an interview that she complained to supervisors and human resources in 2017 about harassment by Mr. Rorick, including at a company party at which they were heavy drinking. Now, I want to give kudos here because I think Ashley Mark might be the only person outside of Bobby Kotick and the spokeswoman for Activision that we see put a name to the interview that they gave to the Wall Street Journal. And this is tremendously difficult. You know, I say in a lot of these videos, hey, take it with a grain of salt because it's anonymous and they're protecting their jobs and we don't know exactly what the biases are. And that's all true. We have to do that on the outside when we can't tell who a person is. But it is a tremendously brave and difficult thing to put your name on something like this, to put it out in a Wall Street Journal article that millions of people are going to read, that people are going to make YouTube videos about. And so we have to give credit where it's due 
that is a, a very brave move and it gives you a lot more confidence in what is being said than just the anonymous reports. Mr. Rorick confirmed he was investigated for harassment incident in an office party in 2017, said it was unclear what exactly did and did not happen since a lot of alcohol was involved. I can't remember what I might have done. He added that it was stupid of me and totally uncalled for to get that drunk. He said he was given a two-week paid leave and allowed to remain at Activision in a different position. Excessive drinking has been associated with numerous complaints of alleged employee misconduct at Activision, according to former employees. Ms. Klasky said the company will soon ban alcohol in the office, which almost everyone has done in most industries. In fact, if you go back to the top of this series, when they're talking about cube crawls and things, you will see me comment on the fact that this is generally when your corporate lawyer, your general counsel, whomever says, yeah, we don't really like to have drinks on site or mandatory uh, drinking at these kinds of things. Because while maybe most people at your company can drink to normal amounts, there's always going to be a few who don't and there's always going to be trouble that results from those kinds of things. And I know that's maybe not as fun for working in the workplace, but hey, I'm a lawyer, I'm a wet blanket. And that's why you see those kinds of rules made. Why drinking gets banned, right? It's because the alternative is often much, much worse for the company and for the people that work for it. Then we get a summary of what we already know in this series. The EEOC brought a complaint. The DFEH in California challenged it. The SEC is looking at things. And there's a point made here by a lawyer at Activision where he says most companies don't disclose EEOC investigations in that SEC probe. And I tend to agree. If you go look at that video, one of the things that's mandatory to disclose, and you'll be talking with accounting professionals and auditors and lawyers when you do these kinds of things, when you consider them for the statements that you're going to make to the public, is that it has to be material. It has to be important, significant to the people that would otherwise be reading this document. As we now know, the EEOC is going to settle for $18 million or so with Activision. And as many people have pointed out, that is in fact not material to the financial success of Activision as a company. So in general, it wouldn't necessarily need to be disclosed to the people that are potentially investing in you. Over the years, Mr. Kotick has himself been accused by several women of mistreatment. So here we get into a section that, unlike the other sections that we've looked at, which is talking about prior incidents at Activision, is aimed at Mr. Kotick himself. It says in 2006, one of his assistants complained that he had harassed her, including by threatening in a voicemail to have her killed, according to people familiar with the matter. And the Activision spokeswoman said, Mr. Kotick quickly apologized 16 years ago for the obviously hyperbolic and inappropriate voicemail, and he deeply regrets the exaggeration and tone in his voicemail to this day, which is, for all practical purposes, a confession of the accuracy of these statements. And you do get a picture of an individual that, in all honesty, starts to sound more and more like Brian Cox's Logan Roy of a narcissistic, ego-driven CEO that is used to yelling at people and getting his way. An image that is pretty much supported by the next anecdote paragraph in 2007. It says, he was sued by a flight attendant on a private jet he co-owned who claimed that the plane's pilot had sexually harassed her and after she complained to the other owner, Mr. Kotick fired her. In a separate action related to legal fees in the case, an arbitrator citing what he said was sworn testimony wrote to Mr. Kotick, told the flight attendant and her, wrote that Mr. Kotick told the flight attendant and her attorneys, I'm going to destroy you. A spokesman for Mr. Kotick denied that he said that. Here we have spokesman instead of spokeswoman. So it's unclear whether that's a different set of statements from Ms. Klasky's or whether it's a typographical error. 
But you do get a death threat in 2006. You do get an I'm going to destroy you, which he denies in 2007. You do get excuse making in 2008 when he had to pay off the arbitrator that says Mr. Kotick said he couldn't have fired her in retaliation because she never complained directly to him. And frankly, in most instances, facts and circumstances are always going to control, of course, that isn't going to be the case. If you know a complaint was made and you fire for that reason, that can 100% be retaliation, especially if you're in the ownership group. It's going to matter on what the law is, what the various jurisdictions say about these things. But ultimately, this excuse isn't going to fly in most circumstances. So we got 2006, 2007, 2008. Some stuff is said by Mr. Kotick, paints him in a very bad light. Then we jump forward to 2020 where we see about 30 female employees who worked in Activision's esports division wrote an email saying that female employees had been subject to unwanted touching, demeaning comments, exclusion from important meetings, and unsolicited comments on their appearance. Mr. Kotick was aware of the email, according to people familiar with the matter. So 30 female employees at the company just last year write this email. Mr. Kotick's aware of it and says the company took steps such as providing diversity and inclusion training to the esports leadership team. Now, what kind of goes unsaid here is what exactly is the implication for what should happen here? Essentially, this says they had more training. Is the Wall Street Journal implying that there should be firings? There should be further investigations? I think that is what's implied by the rest of the context of this article, but it's essentially left unsaid, which I never really like in a piece like this. I'd like a little bit more clarity as to what they think is wrong in this particular circumstance, but I think we can assume that they don't think that Activision went far enough. Says former Blizzard technology chief Ben Kilgore faced multiple allegations of sexually harassing female staffers over the course of several years. So here we're in Blizzard land. During a company investigation, Mr. Kilgore lied about whether he had a relationship with a lower level employee, and he was fired in 2018 in a move approved by Mr. Kotick. Now, we don't have the years here. We don't know whether Activision was slow to move on this or not. But again, we have another circumstance where somebody was fired. You're going to have bad apples in any company that has 10,000 people. So the question is, was what was done sufficient for legal purposes, for ethical purposes, for moral purposes? And as a company comes under fire, as an individual like Bobby Kotick comes under fire, it's kind of easy to slide the line around as to something that looks pretty normal in isolation and suggesting that it's a part of a bigger pattern of badness. So I want to be very cautious about that, even though I do think you are getting a picture of a company and a CEO that maybe isn't treating these kinds of things with the seriousness with which they deserved. Michael Morham, the former head of Blizzard, sent an email to employees thanking Mr. Kilgore for his many contributions over the last four and a half years. And the esports employees in that letter said they felt defeat when an abuser exits the company with positive public farewells. The Activision spokeswoman declined to comment, as did Mr. Kilgore. This, as a lawyer, suggests to me a certain amount of confidentiality that relates to that specific separation. The employee email Mr. Kotick drafted about California's lawsuit in July said it included factually incorrect old and out of context stories, which we, of course, remember as Activision's tone deaf response to the original lawsuit. Mr. Kotick approves most internal company wide emails as well as media responses, according to internal documents and people familiar with the matter. Again, we have a little bit of shade being used by the Wall Street Journal here, right? These lines are there was a ridiculous tone deaf response to the California lawsuit, and Mr. Kotick approves most company wide emails and responses. Yes, I have no doubt that this is true. I have no doubt that they sent this out and that it was tone deaf. You can't actually square the circle here and say that Mr. Kotick wrote this thing specifically, but you can imply it heavily. And I I tend to think that he did write it. Don't get me wrong. 
But I just want to point out, as we do in this space, exactly how these articles kind of work, which is this line and then this line, and you're left with the feeling that Mr. Kotick wrote it, which admittedly, probably accurate, but I still like to point out those potholes when I see them. Here's another big one, much the same as the Jen O'Neill controversy. He directed the email to be sent to employees by Francis Townsend. And if you remember this, this was a big, big deal. I did a video called Activision's Messaging Struggle on all of this. And the Francis Townsend email was one of the flashpoints for the Activision Blizzard folks. It was one of the flashpoints really for the formation of a better ABK, for, of the walkout, of the demand letter, and things along those lines. And here we have the Wall Street Journal effectively saying that Bobby Kotick wrote it. Now, again, you have a little sleight of hand here. He directed the email. Isn't he wrote the email? It's unclear what directing an email actually means, but it certainly means that he had his hands deeper into this email than just Frances Townsend writing something on her own. And that's why, as the Wall Street Journal explains it, we get responses from Mr. Kotick in one of the public responses we saw earlier, calling that statement tone deaf, which sounds a little bit more like an attack on Ms. Townsend when it's made, rather than what Ms. Klasky says here at the end of this article, Ms. Townsend should not be blamed for this mistake. Again, kind of taking it off the hands that Ms. Townsend didn't write it. We can understand that as individuals that know that all of these things are vetted by public relations and legal and the CEO and usually the board in most instances. And it was never going to be the case that anybody communicating on these issues was solely the author of one of these communications. But here you have the Wall Street Journal essentially, again, in a series of paragraphs, throwing shade, saying, oh, I'm mostly in charge of the emails and I directed Francis Townsend's email and I backtracked, called it tone deaf. I've gotten this interview with the spokeswoman. She should not be blamed for this mistake. And it's all at Bobby Kotick's feet. And so that's why I wanted to make this video. I think it's an important kind of conversation to have because it certainly strikes me that someone is trying to put this all on Bobby Kotick, whether or not it belongs there. And whether or not that's the board, whether or not that's an investor, whether or not it's one of the agencies, hell, it could be Bobby Kotick himself. You can imagine all sorts of speculation environments here. But when you see an article like this, when it is so anonymously sourced, when they clearly have access to documents that would appear to be part of the investigations that took place over the last three years, and then you put at the feet of Bobby Kotick all of these complaints and you frame it in this specific way, it certainly seems like someone has it out for him. Maybe that's deserved. I couldn't tell you. I haven't been in the back offices of Activision Blizzard for the last 15 years, let alone the last five. But it certainly appears by all outward appearances that that is in fact what's happening. And you can see it and you can see the effect it has on Activision today where the stock price went from 72 to 65 in a matter of minutes as this article went live. You had a bit of a bounce back here as investors either try to buy in on the drop or say, well, is it really that bad? Is Bobby Kotick going to leave? If he does leave, is he that important to Activision Blizzard making money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're interested in Activision Blizzard, if you're interested in these stock prices, this had another big dip, as we've seen before in this entire Activision story. Does it mean what the Wall Street Journal suggests that it means? Probably not entirely, but certainly a lot of bad stuff happening in corporate governance land. Jen O'Neill, Francis Townsend, 
in the immediate aftermath of all this appear to have legitimate grievances about Bobby Kotick and potentially the entirety of Activision, while some of the older stuff is older, but also suggestive of a company that really didn't have control of its people to the extent that we require in corporate America. Again, I'd like to thank Nord for supporting virtual legality and this specific episode. If you are interested in supporting us, please do check out our Patreon. We've got other ways to support the channel listed below. Otherwise, just subscribing, telling your friends, upvotes, downvotes, sharing these kinds of videos on Reddit, on forums that you find yourself. Every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.